Hello and welcome to week four of the French Football Weekly podcast. My name is Chris and I have no witty banter for you this week, I'm afraid. That's in honour of Leon, who we will bury shortly. Anyway, before we do that, I need to introduce my guests as usual. So welcome back, Jez and Phil. Good evening to you both. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Um, we were kind of joking before the podcast, uh, just saying we'd love a week where we don't have to talk about Leon. But unfortunately, we are going to have to talk about Leon and we're going to have to start from there. So I feel like the best way to go into this, because I do want to give some praise to PSG in a minute, but I sort of feel like Leon are the story here. Um, Jez, I'm going to lean on you, first of all, um, because I just want to ask you, because I know you've been kind of across quite a lot of what's been going on. And to your credit, you kind of called this from day one in terms of the, the text or situation. Just before we go kind of two-footed into what happened last night, can you just bring our listeners up to speed on where things are currently, uh, particularly off the pitch? What, what is the latest in terms of what's going on at, at Leon, to your knowledge? I can try, but not very well. Um, That's good enough for me. <laughs> okay, John, John Texter is the new owner. The Taking over the ownership was an extremely protracted affair, which I think already uh, rang a lot of alarm bells. I think that the original deal was that Jean-Michel Olas, who obviously was has been at Lyon since 1987 and basically brought them up from a sort of regional league de club to one of the best teams in Europe, seven straight titles, but not much the last 10 years, etc., etc. Um, brilliant. Uh, women's team obviously as well um i think he was due to sort of stay in some kind of executive role for at least a certain period of time and then it became clear that he and john tester couldn't work together and he was sort of got rid of um he clearly has been doing a lot of bitching and shit stirring in the background I'm not saying not he's necessarily in the background. I well, mean... until recently, yeah. But I, I will come to listeners' questions, and I think I've made it clear whose team I'm on, if you like. But um, the, on the pitch, it hasn't been brilliant the last two, three, four years. Um, obviously, Olas does have to take some of the blame, although I still maintain it's all gone wrong since he started handing over power to everyone else. I think they seem to be functioning much, much better when he was literally in charge of everything. But anyway, it's not been great. Um, Laurent Blanc came in part of the way through last season. There were signs of recovery. They were actually the third best team of the 2023 part of last season. But this season has been horrific. Um, part of that has been because the DNCG imposed strong uh, transfer restrictions. That, that itself is a cause of more sort of sniping and bitching because um, Olas has been saying, well, that's Texter's fault because he basically ditched the project that I presented and created and presented his own project, which the DNCG don't like. They're saying your project was completely unrealistic now Barkala will get to him 
um, has been sold and Olas this week was saying I would never have sold Barkala. most other people saying that's rubbish your pro- your DNCG project sort of relied on selling a couple of players for a lot of money etc 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 and then I don't particularly understand the legalities and the finances of it but I think last week Olas basically said you owe me money I don't have it yet I'm taking Lyon to court and their accounts or sort of ability to do certain business has been frozen, which I don't think is a good idea and is not going to win in many friends, even though, as I say, I'm more team or less than team Texter. Texter, by the way, also owns Botafogo, who aren't doing particularly well, a Belgian team who aren't doing particularly well, and Crystal Palace. Who are doing all right, but again, would be in that bracket of, yeah, you know, he was with Lyon. He was. I'm all about the forward thinking and the innovative ways of innovative recruitment and etc. And he brought in their previous manager, who's almost eighty. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Bless him. On the pitch, as we've discussed, basically the last three weeks, <laughs> um, Laurent Blanc, I think, was sold a dud, but. At the same time, the team that he is able to put out is not as bad as their position or whatever suggests. You know, I'm not saying there's any shame to losing to a PSG who are purring at the moment, but they should be doing better than they are. And he can blame other people and he wouldn't be totally wrong, but he also has to take some of the blame. Yeah. Yesterday, the, the guy that John Texter... Appointed. By the way, like the people in charge of recruitment are now people like Mathieu Louis Jean, who maybe is a former Forest player. I can't remember. Yes, right? yes, Louis Jean. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Fullback. Yeah. I mean, at one point, just to show how lazy John Texter is, and the the reports are that probably if Blanc goes, he'll be replaced by the Botafogo manager. By the way, um, but to give an idea of his lack of thinking, at one point, Doogie Friedman, who obviously is very associated with Crystal Palace, is being touted as the new head of recruitment. So anyway, um, I can't remember what I, the point I was about to make before that. But <laughs> on the pitch, um, um, all players it's not good. How yeah. lazy Texter was as well. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, the whole thing's a mess. And um, I, I, you know, what I was going to say was the person that was appointed, I think, as the chief exec or something like that, is mm-hmm. apparently he's got absolutely no football experience, and he was he came out yesterday and said something like well we need a coach who actually knows how to coach which he quickly rode back on when he was questioned on it and we know that it is something that Laurent Blanc has been accused of before but it does sound a little bit galling and a bit like he's just learning that from other people considering he apparently knows nothing about football so uh yeah not not good yeah it's a mess and then well I don't know. Should we talk about yesterday or? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll bring you on in on this, Phil, if I may. I mean, because Jazz sort of hit on the, the topic there of like the manager and obviously Lauren Block. I think, to his credit, he hasn't. He's kind of almost tried to make a joke out of things. He hasn't really offered too many excuses, and that could be seen in a good or a bad way. The thing that concerned me about last night's game was PSG ran out four-one winners. All four goals were avoidable, um, albeit, you know, they, they're good goals. And like Jazz alluded to, we'll give PSG their flowers in a minute. But 
the defending was poor, the reaction was poor, um, players questioned. And then after the game, we saw the sort of leader of uh, the Ultras or one of the leaders of the Ultras. Essentially, it, it was very like almost Phil Brown at Hull all those years ago. It was like the players were lined up. The, the Ultras yeah. were vocally saying you are not fit to wear the shirt, essentially, along with some other lines. Um, um, it's, it's not you good, noticed, um Last week, when there was that weird game at Nick's, which was a goalless draw, uh, what you took from that was, well, beyond that, did actually manage to defend. And then they're 4-0 down in the first at half time, and you're like, well, that didn't pass. And if you watch that, I'm sure you've seen the videos at this point, when the players are being harangued by the capital of Ligon, the bad gun. Um, the rest of the stadium was empty. Everyone had fucked off. The, the ultras, the bad gun, had stayed behind specifically for this. And you could see on the players' faces when they're being told the players before you brought glory to the shirts don't shit on the shirt, <laughs> basically, uh, was the bit I heard on TV. And they're all standing there, stony-faced. Well, apart from Kakare, who looked furious, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Ainsley made and Niles, who clearly didn't know what was going on. Well, Kakare um, also did get told off for speaking behind his hand at one point. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was just um, wiping away. Yeah, I wasn't sure. To be fair, Ashley Maitland-Niles didn't know what was going on on the pitch either. No. He hasn't known for about 10 years, Jasmine. <laughs> but it was... The weird thing is, when you look at the shots, they're very level. 19 to 22, on target 8 to 8. And they lost 4-1 for the second time in three games. And... Losing 4-1 to Montpellier at home is obviously much more problematic than losing 4-1 to PSG at home, but also this was the classique. You know, they wanted to show more than that, and you did get the impression PSG falling off at half-time just went, fine, whatever, and didn't really try much in the second half, or it could have been... Horrible. I mean, they got one back uh, to a penalty. Talisa scored uh, 74 minutes, but I mean, that's just not uh, acceptable to a lot of Leon fans. And clearly, um, that whole speech from the Capo at the end of the game had been planned to a certain extent, or they wouldn't have fucked off as well. So yeah, not not good, not good. And Barkula obviously was sold basically last week when he came on a sub just after the penalty. He was booed and whistled whenever he was on the ball, which sounded really, really pointed, which he kind of expected. But then that post-match thing uh, was... Um, unusual, I think, and obviously, 
it must have been really, really horrible for the players who may not be playing well, but as Jess said, there's quite a lot of stuff going on which may explain that to a certain degree. You're still saying Shirky's trying, Capare's trying, Chaleta Sar is doing his best to work stuff out. They've got Lopez back in goal wearing a face mask. I mean, it's... Yeah, but it was a it was a mess, frankly. The, it was a mess. The, the, the gist of what the the capo was saying, and by the way, I, d- I don't know if that's something worth discussing. It's interesting that there is that sort of connection with with fans. I don't think it's just in in France, but it's certainly something you never see in England. But that there is that sort of interaction. You know that it kind of spills over sometimes at Rennes or Marseille, or whatever. But that there is that interaction and almost sort of answerability which i'm not isn't necessarily a bad thing i don't think uh, um but the gist was basically the 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 leaders of the dressing room shouldn't keep so quiet and i don't know i mean as you said lopez came out in a mask he wasn't i don't think he was due to play yeah, so I think he sort of, you know, fronted up and, and came out quickly. Kakare, I think he does his best, but the fact that Kakare was kind of playing almost as a number 10 tells you everything you need to know about yeah. um, what's going on on the pitch. Shirky, I don't entirely agree. I think that there were quite a few instances yesterday of him sort of stopping running and having a go at teammates and things like that. And yeah, that's right. something that, you know, Chris certainly has alluded to a few times the last few weeks that for all the undoubted skill and the fact that, you know, if Leon to create anything, it generally does come through him. There's still, he maybe still needs to learn a little bit more about team ethicary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're starting a match with Cadawera as your centre forwards replacing Amin Saar, again, you're sort of fighting a losing battle. And Coletta Saar, you know, you said he's trying. There's there's two ways of interpreting that. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I think, the debacle of things. Well, one of my friends asked me, um, he sort of basically said, He's like, Was that a good decision to bring him on? From uh, I was very, very surprised that they did, yeah, because we knew what he was going to get. My, my argument was, it, Luis Enrique might put that and say, Well, this was my way of testing him, you know, giving him that sort of you know, like no favors, essentially, like you're part of us now, this is what you've got to handle, but. It's it character it's character building, but I thought it was very strange. I mean, they there was a big um uh what's it called banner in the crowd basically say and I think it Lecky was saying it was directed at Lukeba and Barkula, kind of saying, you know, effectively, you know, sort of fuck you for you know leaving the club that made you what you are when they're in trouble sort of thing um i don't know if it was directed at lukeba as well i don't think lukeba made as much fuss about leaving as barkula did barkula made it very clear he wanted to go and you know if he's as good as he thinks he is and psg thinks he is frankly he's had half of a good season you know i think he could have stayed for another year or so and uh, I think he deserved everything he got, frankly. The, the timing of his transfer is the one that got me because PSG have made so many signings. My question is, how much is he going to play, especially in the in the competition mm. he's got in those roles? But 
the, the talent, I, I yeah. don't question. I think he is, you know, as soon as I saw him in that Coupe de France game for, for Lyon, you know, in, back in January, I think that was. But again, it's January. Time. I mean, I don't entirely question it, but it's a good mm. month's, I don't know. Do you, th- do you think um, this is the last kind of thing I want to ask on, on Leon? I'll, I'll give you this one, Phil, before we give PSG some credit. But do you think, Phil, that maybe the players are getting a bit of a harsh deal here because of, I mean, like how much, I know we're not, we're, none of us are professional footballers, sadly, um, but how much of this should just be put down to, look, you're not in the boardroom, you're not dealing with the off-the-pitch stuff. You know, how how much a couple of people asked me and said, Well, how does this help the team where you've got the, the fans literally calling out the players on the pitch and dressing them down? Is there an argument that they're getting it a bit too heavy here because oh, the performance I, isn't good, but you know I what I mean? I don't it's like... think that uh the dressing down will be helpful at all, but I can understand it. Mm. Um and while there is off pitch stuff, you always ask well, how much are the players actually aware of this? What they're going to be doing is training with the coach and the coach is making sarcastic uh, references to getting fired. Um, I heard on another podcast, I think it might be Lars Evans, said um, Blanc likes to do sarcasm, but he can't do sarcasm well. And that's, I think, where a lot of the quotes from the post-match interview start to be a bit weird because he's just being a bit weird. And then you have to think, if he's being weird in front of a camera, what's he like on the training ground? Is he telling them that they're shit? Or is he telling them it's not my fault? Or is he telling them it doesn't matter? I mean, none of those things would be useful in Leon actually pulling themselves together and doing something. So I think the players are probably in a tricky situation, a confusing situation, and they're the ones on the pitch getting booed and yelled at. So they're thinking, hang on a minute, what did we do? Um, Yeah, again, it's a mess. I think they deserve some stick as well. I just... I said yes, they're just but not I think well the, the level of stick is would be different if it was just bad results and not all of the other stuff, if you see what I mean. I think they're copping some flack for the people that can't be yelled at mm. because they're the guys who are visible. A so, few people have asked me, like, that, that don't watch French football, have asked me and said, oh, you know, what what's happening here like this would never happen in England and I, I kind of chuckled to myself because it wouldn't happen over here but that's not to say that that's not to say that it shouldn't happen here do you know what I mean it's like there's that tribalism element but yeah I, I don't I don't know I think as long as it's a peaceful protest and some of those players genuinely looked concerned by it last night and you know that looked like the penny had dropped but Facts are facts. Leon has played four, lost four, and they're having a, ho- a horrible time. Oh, sorry, played four, lost three, and are having a horrible time. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not good. I do feel like we do need to get, give some flowers to PSG, though, Jez, because uh, I think I, I tweeted it last night, but they are 
dare I say it, starting to look like a team all of a sudden. They actually look like a cohesive unit. They look like a side that is gelling, um, quite exciting. And some of those goals last night were superb. I mean, the, the setup play and the build-up to, to allow, I think it was the second goal, was it the third? I think it was the second. They do look like a team that is finally on the right track. Um, all credit to Luis Enrique, do you feel? Or is it just maybe the fact that they've cut two uh, rather moany individuals out of the dressing room, if you saw Neymar's comments about living in hell? Interesting, mm-hmm. I thought that was. Um, what do you make of the new look PSG, Jazz? Are we finally turning the corner to what we, we've said all along they needed to do? I'm basically going to almost word for word repeat the three things I think I said last week. First of all, this time last year, Lyon were beating Lille 7-1 away. And everyone was saying, isn't this amazing? This is an amazing PSG team, etc., etc." And look how that quickly went off the rails. So, need to see it over a slightly longer term. Secondly, who'd have thought, get rid of a couple of big egos and put in a couple of midfielders, one of whom is capable of actually winning the ball, um, and suddenly you've got more of a team and less gape, fewer gaping gaps um, in various areas of the pitch. And I don't think that's down to Enrique. I just think it's down to finally a little bit of sensible recruitment or thinking. Um, by the way, this time last year, Vitinha looked fantastic. And then halfway through the season, we had Neymar and Messi sort of publicly dressing him down and everyone slagging him off and making him a scapegoat. And surprise, surprise, he's actually a good footballer when he's allowed to do his job mm. rather than three other people's. Yeah, um, very good, yeah. And the third point that I think I made last week and Phil has alluded to, as bad as Lyon were, they had 19 shots on goal. And Donnarumma, who I know... You know, I've made clear I'm not necessarily a big fan of. At some points, not kept them in the game because they're already two 0 up. But you know, it was basically it could easily have been two one before it was suddenly four nil. And mm-hmm. um, he made two or three fantastic saves to to help PSG along the way and to concede nineteen shots against the crisis club that we just talked about is not particularly impressive, I don't think. No. And I don't think it's because PSG are playing some kind of expansive, swashbuckling sort of, I'm going to say, Arsenal or Brighton style where they do leave gaps at the back. Um, I just think there are still question marks in that defence. Yeah. Much as I love Hernandez, he was given the runaround a couple of few times by that, by the one Lyon player who looked quite good, Neymar, I think it is. Neymar, yeah. Um, I still think Skriniar is quite slow. I still don't think Marquinhos is the player he was. Um, so yeah, I think they need to be tested against better, better teams and better players than Lyon before we can draw any conclusions, strong conclusions. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on it later on in the pod. But that Champions League group that they've got is probably going to be where the eyes are going to be focused because Liga, you expect them to be good, but. It's no coincidence that Mbappe back in the side and seemingly quite happy is obviously a good thing. And I think Ugarte is is the one that's made a real difference. Yeah. Um, I've always loved Verratti, but he was very much part of the past. And especially last season with the injuries, that Ugarte just looks like a 
an absolute baller in that centre of the park. And, and so well, also, it seems to me that Ugarte is a very good defensive midfielder. He yesterday showed that he can also yeah, add a little exactly. bit to the attack, whereas Verratti is a good attacking midfielder who can always be relied on to to throw in a flying tackle for better yeah. or worse. He's a good passer, Verratti, but there isn't a huge amount of creation in the final third as such as this. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. Um, no, it's not that. I don't expect him to be the person in the final third. That That's fine. My issue is more that I think he was often expected to do a defensive role that's not his game. Yeah. And attitude. Yeah, oh, yeah. Talking about her many times before. <laughs> yeah, that, that one definitely. Comes I should into say play. the occasional flying tackle swiftly followed by the more than occasional yellow. Phrase more bookings and hot dinners comes to mind. Um, speaking of clubs that are struggling, Phil, that brings us uh, quite nicely onto. We'll, we'll touch on Monaco in a second, but brings us onto Laws. They um something's something's not quite right at, at Laws. Yeah, and, you know we all love sort of Frank Frankers and what he's done and what they did last season, etc. and so on. But that was last season. And I think we all thought that they would struggle maybe losing a pender. That was one thing. But it's defensively against Monaco, they were they lost 3-0, two completely unmarked headers from corners. They they look like a side that has completely fallen off. And is it is it enough to say that Fafana and Appenda going is is the key to that? Because they just look lost at the moment and I can't really work out what's going on with them. I think this is a slow start situation. This is why he's first start up front. But as you say, I think they're still trying to work out what happens at the back. You know, Jeannie Thomason, they've got good forward players, but they don't seem to have the balance that they had last season where the defence was could be relied on and the the forward players would go off and do their thing. This looks a lot more like we're being pushed back, we're being pushed back, we're being pushed back. And when you look at who scored for Monaco, it was Golovin, Singo and Marapan, who were two of the uh Monaco are playing three at the back, two of the back three. Mm. Um, it yes, it was a a, a worrying uh, situation. I think I still think <laughs> this might come back to bite me. They'll be okay once they settle down. But the fact is, the Champions League starts soon, so they've kind of got to settle down. Before that happens, yes, they're not in a fabulous group for purposes of wanting to go forward either. They are for me. <laughs> yeah, well, for you, yes, for fans of various <laughs> other clubs, but they're fourth in a tough group. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I want to see what Franquez is going to manage to kind of beat into uh, the players over the international break before this starts up again. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to potentially, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to get tickets because I was kind of hoping the away leg would be later on into like next year, but it turns out it's in October. So I'm fighting against time to get myself a chance to go over there, but that's a me problem. As for the other end of the stick, 
Jazz Monaco. I think you alluded to it. I think Can you... I just add on last? I mean, yeah, the concern is that it's not a change in defence. It's still the three central yeah. defenders that they had last year. Um, yeah. I agree with Phil that they'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. But in terms of Europe, both Champions League and also qualifying next year, they're giving other teams a head start. Mm. Luckily, a lot of them aren't necessarily taking them. But taking the sort of invitation to to you know build a lead over them and in their defense if that's the right word they have played PSG Monaco and Rennes who are three of the you know bigger teams in the division but mm. they should have a lot more than one point to show I don't think that their performances have been as bad as one point's worth um but the defence has been an issue. And I think Franquez said this week something to the effect that we haven't really digested how well we did last year. And as Phil said, they need to do that quickly. I actually think that the Champions League group is a is a reasonably even one. I think Arsenal should win it quite comfortably. But in terms of Sevilla, who are through by virtue of their ridiculously good Europa record, which is bizarre and hit what was a very average season for them last year. And PSV, who have got a lot of European experience, which will help them, but, you know, dangerous thing to say, considering how they're about to overtake us with the UEFA coefficient, but French teams should be beating Dutch teams. Um, I think Lens could... They should be able to look at that group and think we can get second place or we can, you know, push to qualify. But they need to get their act in order quite quickly. Yeah, agreed. And just very quickly on PSV, by the way, they've got a young, I say young, he's 22. They've got a Moroccan striker who, to me, he just absolutely screams move to Liga soon. Saibari, who scored a couple against Rangers. He looks really good. And I feel like any club that is struggling for goals, particularly in France with the whole Moroccan heritage, I think he'd be one to keep an eye on the, the January window. So that's definitely one to watch. What do you make of Monaco then, Jessica? I think you said last week, or maybe it was previous, but I, you definitely alluded to the idea that, that Adi Hütter has changed the style. They're definitely more attacking now. They've completed this signing of Foller and Balogun from Arsenal on deadline day, which, uh, sorry, dear listener, we just don't have the time to go into every deal because there was thousands on the final day. But that was the big one for Monaco, that pretty much reinforces the goal scoring element particularly if a certain uh, striker and captain uh, does face some time away from the game shall we say um what do you make of them because they can you can only beat what's in front of you and they have looked fairly impressive this season so far they have i mean i think that they're by far the, the top scorers in the division um i have to remind myself who they're playing but not necessarily always the the toughest sort of propositions but Again, Lens on paper are a very good team, and okay, only one of the goals came from open play, but they still look good. Minamino's, you know, arguably been Fair player enough. of the year, league and player of the year so far. He's looked mm. fantastic. Golovin, I still don't particularly rate, but has been doing his bit. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> that was no, it was a nice, very good finish. Although yeah. again, you know, talked about the lack of marking for the first two, for the two set piece goals, he pretty much had a. Uh, the whole free run the area to himself for, for his goal as well. Um, but yeah, as you said, they can only beat what's in front of them and, and and beat them well. I mean, you know, the fact that they they had to sort of scrape a draw against Nantes suggests that not everything is perfect. Of course, it's not going to be. But considering this is the start of a sort of new 
era under a new coach, they've looked very good compared to other teams who sh- like Lance, like Ren, who should have thought that they could get a head start because they're just carrying on where they left off last year, where, whereas Monaco have changed a few things. And certainly, you know, Singo scored the first goal, looked really good, I thought. Yeah, um, good fullback. The defense, like the midfields, you know, again, sort of alluding to Lance and Fofana leaving, having that settled midfield too, I think helps a lot. And again, so PSG as well, surprise, surprise, a good midfield that sort of links defence and attack and doesn't leave gaping holes and can do a bit of both, changes a team. Who'd have thought? Mm, yeah, who'd have thought? Not me. Yeah, completely agree with you. And um... Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Claremont, Strasbourg, Nantes and OK Lance. Yeah. It's not, it's not the toughest opening schedule, but others haven't had too tough a schedule either and haven't come out of it with a 10 points out of 12. So Yeah, and 13 goals in four games, as you said, is is that's the place to... If there was ever a time to fill the ground at Monaco, surely now is that time to, uh, to go and see them if you get the opportunity. They are definitely the entertainers. What about... Um, I want to give some love to the, the clubs down at the bottom, Phil, because we had... The two new promoted sides, and as much as it pains me to say it this weekend of all, they have got their first win at the weekend with a 3-0 win. Lorient just weren't at it. A um, lot of change in that Lorient dressing room over the transfer window. Uh, may he rest in peace at Marseille. But Lav were really good, um, and Mets as well, who of course we'll give Jez a chance to speak about in a second, but they got a 2-2 draw this weekend as well, which is no mean feat against, against Rash, who have had a really good season, and by the way, three of the best goals in Europe this season uh, in that one game. I'd argue four. On the basis that yeah. I assume the three you're talking about are the top corner ones. Yeah. The other I, one is a fantastic what, team move as well. I do agree. Yeah, yeah. That, I am probably being a bit harsh, but for, for pure wolf ability, those three yeah. long-range strikes were pretty special. Um, but yeah, what, what do you make of the starts of those two, Phil? I've got a win and two draws and a defeat in their first four games. That leaves them 10th. And Mets are obviously losing Mikkel Tatsay is, is a big blow, but two draws, a win and a loss as well. They're in 13th. It's a pretty decent start for those two promoted sides, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we saw Lava on the first day um, drawing 2-2 away at Montpellier, uh, lost a breast, then drew at, is it Ren? Yes. Yeah. Before putting three past your guys for no return. <laughs> they have clearly come up with a plan, and the plan appears to be working. And... You know, their fans are probably, oh, we can go for Europe. But no, I mean, they're 10th at the minute. If they were 10th at the end of the season on promotion, that would be pretty cool. And they just seem to... I didn't actually watch much of this um, because my my attention was sadly elsewhere. Um, but they did appear to kind of run you ragged in this. And I was left after this thinking, well, La Havre have done very well. What's happening at Lyon? Hmm. Um, who had kind of on the same, um, same 
they're on the same points with the same record, but haven't looked the same convincing, as it were. Uh, yeah. I also notice uh, a certain Monsieur Mandy has not yet made the bench for long. No. What is going on there? Apparently, That's a side it, note, but it's a fitness issue. Yeah. Apparently, if you believe what what you want to believe, but yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, whereas Arv appears to be very fit and very organised, and like I say, are going out there with a plan, and everybody knows the plan, and then you win three 0 at home, and that must have been really um, good for. Uh, the fans to see because the first home game was that kind of disappointing loss against Brest. So I think they're going to take a lot from this. Mm. And in a sense, this first uh, international break of the season pisses everyone off. I imagine <laughs> it's pissing love off more than more than many people. That yeah. you know they want to keep that momentum going. And uh, you know, I still think that they'll they'll be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have to. They're going to have to pick their fights. Yeah, their battles. I think is a is important. And also catch teams. You know, Lorient were were very poor on the day. It was just and and to be fair to Lebris and, and Co. Yeah, a lot of change in the dressing room. A lot of players coming in. A lot of players going out. Um, and I think you with Lorient you will get these sort of results where they'll beat Lille and look completely you know, secure and controlled and then they'll lose a game like they did in this particular fixture and, and were rightly outplayed. So fair play to, to Love. As for, for Mets, Jez, I mean, I, I know that you're pragmatic in your thought process and whatnot, but they've replaced this. Uh, Estupinan's come in to replace Mikotato, who did go to Ajax. Seems on paper a good fit. He was pretty decent at Hull until the new manager came in. As we mentioned, certainly no problem with uh, with spectacular goals in this particular game. Sabali, in particular, that first one was a, a, a beauty. Is it much like love for for your guys in terms of just win the home games and pick up the odd, maybe the odd away game when you least expect it, and just finish above that dotted line in fifteenth? Is that kind of what the way you see it, or or have you been quite impressed with what you've seen so far? Um. Oh. Impressed is maybe a little bit too strong. <laughs> Relieved, maybe. Satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after the first match, I think, you know, they they sort of settled a little bit and that's now unbeaten in three, which isn't, isn't is it in three? Yeah, which isn't yeah. such a bad thing. Um, you know, I suppose it was a decent match yesterday. I think Haas played more of the good football, but both teams had their moments and, as we said, like four really good goals. Um uh, Jalor came back and scored immediately, which I think is good because probably a lot of the sort of creative onus is now going to fall on him. Um, Mikatazi is a loss, but it was nice to see that we're still able to score goals without him being my usual sort of glass half empty self. I would say maybe, um, rather not rely on spectacular goals because they're percentage, you know, percentages wise a little bit less likely than. Team goals and set pieces. Are you and that coming kind of into the SXG camp here? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, in terms of our transfer dealings, weirdly, 
it's sort of accidentally been decent in the end. But I think even that has kind of annoyed a lot of Mess fans because it really does feel like there's no really, there isn't much sort of joined up thinking there. Like the example is we signed Tete from Hull City, who's a striker who scored one goal last season, but then brought in on loan the Hull striker who actually scores goals. We brought in a fullback, an ageing fullback from Birmingham, who got injured so then we brought up the fullback of the year from Ligue 2 last year (laughs) we sort of brought in good people but why didn't we bring those ones in in the first place um Ismail Traore is injured which I think is going to be a big loss but we brought in Christophe Erer who is accident prone but also is a player with good league and experience I'm quite pleased with that um we've brought in as a sort of unknown this um Swedish winger who started at the weekend so I'm sort of I feel like we've got a slightly deeper squad than I thought we would end up with um there's still a lot of inexperience there's still too many accident prone people there but and I still do worry about where all the goals will come from but I feel a little bit more reassured than I did I guess this time last week even yeah, at least you're sort of peeking out from the sofa rather than hiding behind it with your hands, fingers in your ears, like, yeah. screaming no. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Which is definitely why I was doing watching games yesterday. But um, yeah, good start for both. Good start um, for both. Before we come on to, I'm going to come to Phil in a second for use of the European persuasion. But just before I do, I do want to run down the other results of the games that we haven't mentioned this weekend. Um, so we did mention the roundup at PSG winning 4-1 at Lyon in the end. Uh, nice got a 2-0 win over Strasbourg. Uh, Tara Moffi getting his first of the season in that particular game and a beauty from Atal as well. We mentioned their love win over Lorient 3-0. Now on that one, two fantastic assists from two, or one of them was a pre-assist from two defenders as well. Yeah, well, Toliba got one assist, didn't he? Toliba and Dante sort of Donch had the sort of pre-assist for the first one, I think. No, no, it was an assist because he cut in. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it counts as an assist. Yeah. Defensive assist. I like that. Although a pre assist is always good. Um, Lille got a 1 0 win over Montpellier, largely, uh, in my opinion, a bit unwarranted. I thought the Montpellier. Well, no, I was... think um, uh, they had loads and loads and loads of chances to make it 2 0 and didn't. And then two minutes from time, Norden got the goal, mm. the ball in the back of the net. VAR ruled it out. That would have been, I think, the biggest rivalry we've seen so far. And Gibb is furious on Twitter. So Leo uh, are labouring, I think, and we'll come on to that with the European stuff as well. But they dominated that. And what was really lovely was Samuel and Titi. Yeah. I mean, that's always good. We, we always love seeing Big Samuel. That sashaying goal celebration will, <laughs> you know, be played at my view. We're going to so, see it um, at least once, aren't we, this season, you feel? Like, power header at the back stick and then off he goes to the corner flag. You, you love to see it. Um, I, I did think that goal, the offside call, was really harsh, though. It was so it, tight. Well, to be fair, the guy who was offside was definitely interfering with play. Yeah, the, I suppose. Fall over and take two Lille players down with him. Yeah, true. Uh, so, fair just, enough. It was just but one of those. It, for a moment, it was just hilarious. And then we were all brought back down to earth a bit. Yeah. 
it's just one of those that I just sort of wanted to stand just for the old fashionedness in me. But yeah, fair enough. Um, mm-hmm. Toulouse and Claremont played out a quite entertaining game actually on Sunday. They drew 2 2. Uh, yeah, did you see the Magra goal? Yeah. Because Toulouse went 2 0 up, and Buclau, um scored at 8 minutes and 14 minutes Magra goal. Oh, that was nice. One weird thing was that um, Toulouse had replaced the names on their shirts with names of local regions. Yeah. Or a kind of patrimoine thing, which must have made life very difficult for the referee when there was a bit of a fight broke out (laughs) late on and he was just booking like... Basically anyone. (laughs) Ipswich. um, (laughs) It was very strange, but the... um, Clermont got a penalty to Greg Kay, obviously, but then there was a 96-minute equaliser yeah. from Ogier, and that was a good goal, man, scrambled. I thought, I thought of you when I saw that goal. Yeah, yeah people people <laughs> lying all over the place, the bullets spinning around everywhere. No, it was it was a good goal, man, scramble, I think, that one. So, 2-2, Toulouse are probably just cross but I think that was um, a a really good kind of solid performance from Claremont I think we just like we are we are not taking this and yeah so they they are the classics everything they are uh, Claremont the classic we've we we will not succumb to second season syndrome we are going to plant our flag and we're going to stay in this division no matter what I like it I do like their approach and, and they're good to watch, to be fair. Well, There's... that's their first point. So yeah. They yeah. might have to keep going with this for a while. Pushing on. Yeah, good to see. Um, Brest and Wren drew nil nil. Really nothing, nothing to, to see here. here. <laughs> Absolutely dead game, unfortunately. Um, and on Friday night, we saw uh, Marseille and Nantes drew drew 1 1. And do you know what? Fair play to Nantes. I still think they're going to struggle this season, but. They are showing some grit and determination. And, and in Mohammed, that, they've got a striker who scores goals. I mean, that's... Yeah, because they had... Uh, Manaju was sent off on nine minutes. Yeah. It indeed, but yeah. the Mohammed goal, kick, but also, did you notice the assist was not quite a bicycle kick, but it was a, one of those side-on Yeah, motions. kind of a side So hook, it was yeah. like... Tricycle kick? I don't know. Um, But no, that was cool. But Marseille will be going yikes after that one. Yeah. They they really should have won that game. 80 minutes against 10 men and come out with the draw. Awkward. And and the last, literally, the last, I say the last minute, the last two minutes was just proper basketball. We'll have it, you have it. It was like anyone could have won that game. And there was a chance late for Bamiang and he put it wide and oh, he just thought. Um, kit watch, by the way, Marseille's third kit is a banger. Um, so I'm just gonna throw that out there. It looks like flames. It's very nice, it's very lummy, very yummy. I like that. Um, but yes, all of that uh, side. I'm actually gonna give the first table of the season because I feel like we're four games in before the international break. Just a quick summary, Monaco are top. Uh, two points from PSG and Marseille, who are joint second. Uh, Rams up there in fourth, tied on points with Lille and Brest down to sixth, with Rennes, Strasbourg and Lave making up the top ten. And down at the bottom, 
we've done it to death, but Leon, uh, I've got one point from four, as have Lons, who are the bottom two. Clermont also have one point from four, they're 16th, uh, with Nantes, Montpellier, Metz, Toulouse, Lorient up to 11th. Remember, only 18 teams this season. I have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Uh, right, Europe, Phil. Lille squeaked through, and their reward is what? Well, Lille won their first leg 2-1 against Rijeka. And then Rijeka got one in normal time, which meant we went to extra time, which meant a 108-minute goal from Jonathan David uh, put Lille through to qualify into the Europa Conference thingy What's It, where they will be in a group with Slovan Bratislava, Olympia Ljubljana, Slovakia and Key Klasvik from the Faroe Islands who this is possibly one of Lille's problems is that this is the first time any Faroese team has got into the group stage of anything I think and therefore they are going to have all of the controls and I was listening to another pod this week oh I think of Villa in C4 as well, and everyone's saying, oh, with the money Villa have got, etc., they should be looking to win this thing. You're thinking, well, Real should probably be looking to win this thing, but I kind of don't have any confidence that they're going to do very well. You can just see them being kind of beaten 1-0 in the Faroe Islands because they're not taking their opposition seriously and their opposition really, really wants to win. Yeah. And, yeah, so I think that could be slightly awkward. And particularly given what we've seen from them at the weekend in particular, I mean, they damn nearly turned that away. They were hammered by Lorient. um, And... They need to get themselves sorted out to uh, to make that work. But yeah, that could be. I think we could see more swearing from Gil, is what I'm saying, <laughs> as we go through the group stages up to Christmas. And um, what were the other? Let's fill in our listeners on the other French teams in the various competitions who they got. Um... So in the Champions League, PSG are in with. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, AC Milan, Newcastle. Tasty. So that's going to be fun. And then, as we said, Lens possibly might struggle because they're in with Sevilla, Arsenal and PSV. And hey. given the way Lens are playing at the moment, that is has got null point written all over it unless Frankes can get something uh, sorted out. So I think... Um, The PSG group is very interesting because obviously Newcastle were the fourth hot team, but that's based on history and they are making a new history. So that could be interesting. Uh, When we get into the Europa League, I know Jez is delighted about this, that uh, Marseille are in a group with Ajax, AEK, Athens and Brighton. 
So I think we're all planning the next uh, FFW meetup at the <laughs> Velodrome to uh, to watch that one. The good news is I'm almost certainly going. The bad news is I'm almost certainly sitting with Marseille fans. <laughs> <laughs> My best mate is a Marseille fan, so we agreed to do a cultural exchange, but sitting in the home section for both matches. You're going to have a lot of podcasts requests that week as well, I suspect, Jess. You're going to be busy that week. And um, so Toulouse are in with Liverpool, Lask and Union SG. I think Toulouse um, played Liverpool a few, like, years ago, didn't they? I seem to remember yeah, they did. Yeah, playing at Anfield, yeah. Um, meanwhile... Damian Connolly, okay. Very good. Uh, Ren are in with Villarreal, Maccabi Haifa, and Panthenaikos, who obviously um, did OM out of a uh, Champions League spot before then losing to Braga and ending up in the Europa League as well. Yeah. So that looks a that looks a pretty kind of even group. I think yeah. so I think that might be very interesting. I'm a bit I don't know anything about last goal union SG, but um, I don't think any of us do to be fair. Yeah, Toulouse are going to do their thing. But I think the one we're all going to be looking at is that OM group. Um, I think AK Athens might be a bit pissed off to be the one nobody mentions in that group. But, you know, uh, it should be be an interesting one. Ajax OM, that just sounds so... Oh, that's very classic, isn't it? That's that's very eighties, I think. And that's the thing as a as a Brighton fan, you're kind of torn between wanting an easy group or if this is going to be our only ever season in Europe, uh really, you know, traditional European couple of clubs, which is really yeah. exciting. Hmm. The, the thing is as well, from Brighton's perspective, I mean, you know, Marseille it's one of those clubs that you're, it's quite easy to scout popping across the pond. Um, and and we know, as part of this podcast, we know what Marseille in particular, but other European club, other French clubs are like in Europe. So, you know, <laughs> it gives Brighton a pretty good chance, I would hasten to say. Um, um, but yeah, I think, I think you and Adam are going to be quite busy that week, just so be prepared. But uh, yeah, some pretty good groups and and that PSG group in the Champions League, I think that's that's tasty. I know a, a lot of Newcastle fans are very excited by the idea of finding a you know PSG in their group and thinking they can slap them about a bit. I'm not sure. I just feel like this might be the season PSG might go deep in the competition, but we've said that before, so no horses. Uh, you know, the Newcastle will be headed deep into the competition. <laughs> That was that line was quite something. Uh, Newcastle do look a bit of a mess so far this season. So uh, yeah, good for PSG and Dortmund also a bit of a mess this season. So it might be a good drawback for PSG, but we shall see. Champions League and, and European uh, Conference and Europa League they all start uh, the week we come back in two weeks. So um, yeah, it, it's all swinging into action pretty quickly. Um, speaking of two weeks, though, we have got a break now for a fortnight, Jazz, because uh, Les Bleus are back in action. I saw some pictures of the players arriving in some questionable attire at Clairefontaine earlier on today. 
Uh, Giroud still looks as handsome as ever. Bless him. What's uh, what's the squad that Deschamps has gone with? At, well, not just Deschamps, but of course all all levels under nineteen, under twenty ones. Thierry Henry, of course, making his debut. But what do you make of the, the the squads that have been released for these upcoming fixtures, particularly for the the main squad? The main squad. There aren't any sort of massive changes. It's nice to see Lucas Hernandez back. Obviously, last time we saw him in the first team was him getting injured in the first ten minutes in the first match of the World Cup. Um, but otherwise, it's all pretty pretty straightforward, I think. And, you know, it's a good-looking young squad, plus Giroud. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, sorry, good-looking. Good and Giroud on the squad, yeah. yeah. Um, Todibo coming in today as well to replace the injured Conmarte. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I still am not convinced about Conate. I still think Bambi on ice whenever I see him. <laughs> so, uh I don't. I don't mind that. Um, yeah, they st- my starting two would still be Saliba and Upamecano. Yeah, um, so. but Deschamps doesn't seem to agree with me, despite all the voicemails I keep leaving him. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's still a good. It's a very good squad, of course it is. Um, yeah. And I think hopefully it's a case of a few of these players just getting used to playing together. And you know, as much as I love Giroud and Griezmann, you have to think that. Well, Griezmann will be in there, but Mbappe, Dembele and Colomuani playing week in, week out together mm. could be very good for France, even though I still don't rate Dembele very highly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we did skip over Colomuani, did join PSG in the end. Um, also, <laughs> not very classy the yeah. way he did it. But... No, it was a bit under the table, wasn't it? And Ekatike was trying to be, they were trying to force him out of the club and he didn't go, but they got Colomuani anyway. But yeah, 70. 70 million euros is a fairly hefty price tag as well, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how much he sort of explained. Obviously, he had more, you know, it's not like Barcola, but in the last year, you know, he left Nantes on a free last summer, I think it was, relatively quietly. Yeah. And it was just had an amazing last year, apart from that one shot. Yeah. Oh, don't. Back horrible memories. But, yeah, yeah. he's... Definitely got the world at his feet if PSG, you know, given the game time, which you imagine they will. Yeah. Um, and any noticeable no. members of the, the youth or younger teams? But it's sort of, you know, the, the first squad is always quite interesting, sort of the first squad of a new season, because there's obviously sort of a certain generation that are dropping out. So, and obviously this one is extra interest because it's Henri. So there's still, you know, certainly up front, you know, Barkula, Sherky, Kalimwendo, Maro, the Bear, Wai, you know, some what should be kind of pretty safe bets there. Um, strong midfield as well. It's interesting that he's he's picked um a couple of maybe someone showing how much football he watches, but there's a couple of League de players and even a player who's playing in the National on loan from um, Strasbourg that are there. Yeah. So there's kind of a, a good range of, of of players there. He's got Guillaume Rest, who started the season brilliantly for in goal for Toulouse, who's, yeah. uh, I was going to say, the, the the youngest player in the squad born 2005. But of course, the youngest player in the squad is Zaire Emery, who Emery, yeah. more than deserves it. And genuinely, I think, if he maintains his form, could could come into the first team squad for for um in time for the euros 
Um, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world, I don't think. I still think, you know, France's midfield, the first team midfield is still sort of relatively flighty. I think Rabiot started the, the season well, many as well, yeah. but there were question marks last year. Kamavinga, we know he's versatile, but maybe needs more consistency for Fana, Camera. So I think that, you know, there is space to to make a push for Zaire Emery in the, in the first team if he maintains that form. So, mm. yeah, there's a couple of interesting players to watch there. And obviously just we want to see how Ori does, whether he changes... You know, for years now, we know the under-21s have been fantastic on paper and not really put it together as a team. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Ori changes that a little bit. Yeah. One complicating factor might be, obviously, next year, as well as the Euros, for the seniors, you've got the Olympics. So... Well, I think everyone at the FFF, including Ori, is a very, interestingly, very much kind of made it clear that the Olympics are the priority, which I was a little bit surprised yeah. actually. But... What, just, so that I just... might mean that Zaya Marie is kept in his age bracket yeah. um, for, for that because he could be one of the players of the tournament if, seeing as you've, if that happens. Seeing as you've opened that box, just quickly, what do you make of the talk that there could potentially be Mbappe would, he really wants to play in the Olympics, doesn't he? He's made no secret that. There's some discussion that any part of a new contract or indeed an offer from Real Madrid would have to include the fact that he could be released for that tournament. If I'm Real Madrid, but I'm not, he, I'm not he going has for that. To play. He has I to mean, play the Euros. Yeah. I think the issue is that, and this has been the thing that sort of scuppered, well, frankly, it scuppered the Euros last year as well, but certainly the last Olympics as well, that it's all about whether clubs have to clubs don't have to release players yeah. during times that aren't official FIFA calendar times or something. And I think the Olympics yeah, sure. was under that. So yeah, he's made it very clear that he wants to be there. Obviously he'd be one of the overage players. Um now, frankly, if I was Real Madrid after being mucked around so much, I would say no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I think one thing to look at the last Olympics, I think the federation for once actually played that very cleverly because they brought back uh Andre Pierre Gignac and of course, yeah. um Florian Torval yeah. were both playing in Mexico so weren't kind of busy at the time. Yeah. Um, and the other overage player was Teji Savani, who's yeah. from Montpellier who I love him to bits, but we'll never get into the main French squad, but he has that on his record. Mm. And that was a matter of pride for certain uh, certain community in France as well. So who you pick as your overage players is a bit of a kind of chess game yeah. or bridge game, possibly. Mm -hmm. And that may not be as easy now. I mean, you never know. Who was it who's potted over to Brazil? Dimitri Payet. 
Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Forget Maybe he'll be called up for the Olympics. You never know. If, if no, he still, won't. If he still, <laughs> <laughs> no, he won't. Just no, agreed. Um, I suspect he might eat well over there as well. So I'm not sure what shape he'll be in come the Olympics. But yeah, interesting to see how those squads get on and uh, the the senior squad play uh, qualifier and the friend meet in the next ten days. They play Ireland in the qualifier on Thursday. That's this Thursday, so three days time. And they play Germany in a friendly uh, next thing next Tuesday. So um, we may delay the pod next week by a day just to cover both. We'll see how it goes. We'll buy another day. But just today, I'm going through the younger squads as well. Hmm. On the 19s are interesting. Just uh, sorry, just... Emery could be in there as well. <laughs> yeah, he could be. Yeah, under 12s. Um, <laughs> just. To just point out a couple of names that might sound familiar. Um, I'm still upset that Bradley Danger, who used to be yeah, in the isn't around <laughs> He plays um, for Rodé, doesn't he? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, what a great name. Um, so a couple of familiar names. One of the defenders is someone by the name of Elias Zidane. Ah. Um, so I think that's Zizou's youngest. Um, Desiree Douay, who's already... Doing very well at Wren. Yeah. Um, Matis Tell, who's got, if you have a look at goals versus actual playing time, is has got a fantastic goal scoring record for Bayern Munich and scored their late winner at the weekend. Yeah. Um, and alongside him up front is a player called Aaron Maluda, who is Florence Sons. Son, yes. He's in the Lille first team squad this season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting to that stage where we're so old that it's now yeah. the songs of people whose full careers we followed. <laughs> we need we need Bizante Lizarazu or uh, well Turan needs to have another child. We need some fullbacks. So can we can we get on the fullback train? Vincent Condola, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Somebody somebody needs to give us some young fullbacks, please, for the love of God. Um, but yeah, very interesting. I, I must confess, I didn't know Zidane had another youngest. I thought it was just his. Uh, is it Enzo, the goalkeeper at Real Madrid? I didn't realise he had another youngest. So. Three or four. Is it? He's been a busy boy, isn't he? That's um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, that, wouldn't that be great if he had all three in the same team? That would be awesome. But yeah, yes, definitely. We could see a couple of two ramps. A couple of two ramps would be great. <laughs> yeah. Marcus doing very well in Inter, by the way. He scored last night um, on against Fiorentina. He looks pretty settled there. So yes, good luck yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, he looks looks the part uh, alongside probably the most informed striker in Europe in Arturo Martinez. So good for him. Got his move. Uh, and just, Ferguson. And Ferguson, who does look every bit the next big thing in terms of uh, in terms of the sort of Premier League connection. So yeah, I think I suspect France might pass him by. I think he's destined for bigger things, sadly. Uh, just before we go, we did have a couple of questions I want to give a nod to. Um, two are on the same subject, so uh, feel free to jump in, either of you, onto these. One was from uh, Tarek, which I should just read now. Our friend Tarek Amir at La False number 12. He said, I think it's fair to say that the OL men's team don't know what they they are for the club in which identity is, an import, is important. What do you think mm. they need to be? Do they just need to win, but to reconnect with the fans and beyond? Um, and on a similar subject, Babak Farahi, uh, Babak Farahi, um, is this the worst Leon team since the 80s? Can, um, and he also mentions Teddy Tumor, which I'll cover in a second. 
just on those two questions as well, I, I saw somebody was replying to a thread. I think it was on one of those like really dumb like lad Bible type things, but someone picked up on the the Leon Ultras conversation. I should call it last night. Somebody put, I think it's a West Ham fan, and they they put, I don't think people realise just how big Leon are as a club. This is a massive club, and I really kind of hit me. I was like, do you know what? You're right. This is the biggest club I'd be in France. So. Either of those two questions for either of you? Does, do you want to jump in on either of those two? I I think that's a, a very good question from Tara because it really goes to that combination, as we were talking earlier, of the off-pitch stuff and the on-pitch stuff. Lyon have always had a very strong identity. And when you put a team out that maybe doesn't, it is problematic and that maybe that's where the whole thing about the, the capo afterwards was coming from. I remember many years ago there was a, a the derby with Saint-Étienne and Lyon were banned. They couldn't send anybody because the, the prefecture, the police had said no. And I think it was Rudy Garcia Oh, Remigard, maybe, who went out there and he had Adidas trainers with bad gum written on his shoes. Like, not in marker pen or anything, but proper stitched in, yeah. stitched in stuff. And I think that shows the connection that the ultras are used to having. Mm. And the fact that they are maybe not having that now is making them madder than they might otherwise be. Yeah, agreed, agreed. There was, I should also mention, there was another question on the same theme from uh, from Keith, who's at Keith underscore 22 underscore, um, who's a Long Island, New York. Leon fan, you don't get many of those to the pan. So uh hello <laughs> to you, Keith. Um, and he also said, I think Jez answered this earlier on when we were talking about Leon, who, in your opinion, who is to blame at OL? Is it the manager, the players, Olas, or all three? And he said, I say all three. So I think Jez kind of covered that. Um well, I'd on. say you're missing one person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> agreed to some uh-huh. a certain JT. Uh I, not John I, Terry. I mean First of all, I'm not. I'm not sure. I would say that Lyon is such a massive club on a sort of European scale. Okay. Um, on European, yeah, fair, fair. Certainly, historically, you know, you could argue sort of before women. the turn of the century, there mm. was much history there, and and you know, it's all the usual debates we have in England about you know a Chelsea a big club because they don't have any history, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Newcastle and Spurs are big clubs who barely ever won a championship between them, you know that kind of thing. But um, I, I think it shows, particularly in France, that it's not like the Premier League where you can recover from mistake after mistake after mistake. It's a lot, your success is a hell of a lot more tenuous. And, uh, you know, I still feel maybe it's slightly dramatic, but I feel like Lyon never really recovered from the amount of money they spent on Jean Macron and, and Gourcouf. Um, yeah, I was going back. Yeah. And, uh, I'm I'm not one for I've never entirely understood the sort of 
uh, weird comparison, but Bayern Munich and Lyon, you know, often giving the, the executive jobs to former players, that kind of thing. But again, I think to an extent, the wheels started coming off at Lyon when they did start giving certain jobs to other people or, for example, you know, undervaluing Florian Maurice. But then I suppose on the other side, you could say overvaluing someone like Juninho, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the wheels can very quickly come off. And I think for all his spikiness and all his issues, I think Olas was Lyon and Lyon was Olas. And you were always going to have to play the post-Olas, whatever came after Olas, yeah. extremely carefully. And it's being very, done very badly. And I don't, to be honest, I don't really know what that means by what is this Lyon team for, or that kind of thing. But, you you know, you look at the team and there are, the team that started the other day, there's one, two, three, I think there's five sort of proper Lyonnais that came through the ranks in the starting lineup. Mm. Tolisso, obviously, I guess, nearer to the end of his career. That's still a decent number making up a sort of Lyonnais DNA. I think the problem is that whereas earlier in the in the century they were the sort of financially dominant team that could keep these players for a couple of years longer and and build some kind of legacy or make sure that the next players coming through were ready. Now they're not doing that. Now Abarcola is leaving after after six months and um relying on Toliso and Lacazette, who are slightly injury prone. Um, Kakare, as I said, sort of playing out of position. Sheki, arguably still not really ready to to kind of make this his team. Mm. And then you're making very panicky signings around that. Um, So, yeah, just it feels like things can sort of go downhill very, very quickly. And, And when you end up kind of making crazy last minute decisions or signings or sackings or whatever it is to basically firefight and just try to deal with the current crisis you're you're not dealing with longer term problems and you're sort of creating you're just sort of kicking the can down the road and and although this is all blown up now it feels like it's been something that's been coming in a way for for quite a few years now yeah putting a plaster on a broken leg just what jess was saying about all us being Leon to a maybe lower table, lesser extent, but when Lulu Nicolau died, that was a big thing in Montpellier. But because his son has taken over, mm. you still see the thread, there's yeah. still the same link. kind of link. Mm. And that's what Leon have just, in a sense, cut the cord yeah. completely with this um, this recent set of circumstances. So because he was so important for so long, yeah, that's always going to take a bit of time to go. Just a way of doing it, though, isn't there? Like, you know, I know it's a manager, um, yeah. so it's different, but like what Arsenal did with Arsene Wenger, for example, like, you know, even people that questioned him as a coach, everyone appreciated what he'd done. And I still, I think it's the same for owners if they're, you know, the time change and people do get moved on. And but there's, there's an element of class about how you do things. And this, 
situation at Leon screams anything but class to me. And that's the, I guess, the bit that, because let's, let's be honest, Olas is no saint. We all agree there. He's done things that have been a bit, and said things that are a bit questionable, but you cannot deny his influence on both the game in France and Leon as a club. And that's feels like that's what's been washed away unceremoniously and has led to all these problems. So, yeah, it's not a good yeah. situation to be in. Um, I think, again, it just goes back, you know, the, no one's a saint in football. No. Think, you know, it's becoming more and more amoral by the year. But yeah. um, at least taking Chelsea again as an example, or PSG or Man City or Newcastle, if you throw enough money, you can... I mean, frankly, look at Chelsea. They spent a billion in the last year and they haven't started well, but they'll be fine or they'll just spend more or yeah. buy more Brighton players. Um, they... <laughs> Every trophy they've won recently is, I think, has been won by a caretaker manager or someone yeah. taking over halfway through the season. It goes against everything. It goes against all common sense that you're always taught about football when, you know, you can only win things through continuity or whatever. But the fact is, when you've got enough money to throw at it, you can do what you want. You know, you can be PSG and think sod it, it's the last day of the transfer window, we need Barcola and Colomawani, so we're going to get them. Yeah. Um, Lyon and no French clubs apart from PSG can do that. True. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, very, very good point. Um, nothing to do with French football, but <clears throat> never change, Chelsea, never change. Uh, please carry on exactly <laughs> as you are, because it's hilarious to the rest of us. I, uh... As much as Brighton fans adore Colwell and wish we'd kept him, Sorry, yeah. this is not French football, but there was something enjoyable about Forest winner coming from Caicedo losing the ball, Colwell being passed <laughs> around and the ball being slotted past Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you can have those wins. I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Uh, yeah, uh, shithousery is always welcome on any podcast, so I'm all for it. Uh, <laughs> the other part of the question um, that uh, Babak asked, I had to jump into this one because uh, no secret, I love the man. Um, he asked if Teddy Tumor can gain cult status like Taji Savanier. Mm. Uh, and I, I quite liked the question because the two are quite similar. Uh, Teddy was very much, you know, he's very much the symbol of Maltese football, but he's a very kind of like, to look at him, you think, oh, he's a footballer. He's quite rough around the edges and he's got that that Teji sort of bite about his game. So I hope so, because the more players like that in the, in the, in the league is a good thing. But that aside, he's having a really good start to the season. I think he's in the top 10 of goals and assists in any from any player in Europe at the moment and scored another good goal for, for us at the weekend. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I think it's out now. Um, I'm not a huge Jake Humphrey fan, but the High Performance Podcast has an interview with Will Still this week. Um, really good. It's a really good listen. So, uh, And he comes across Will Still, this is a he basically sort of said that he got the players together on day one and, and just told them all his flaws. And then at the end of that said, deal with it, basically. So asked all the players to say, yeah, this is what I don't like. This is These are all the things that bother me. And then it was like, yeah, but deal with it because everyone's different. And I thought it was quite a refreshing way of looking at coaching. So um, I yeah. agree, but that does remind me of the Brendan Rogers envelope. A little oh, bit. it is very, yeah, it is. I, I think if it, I think if it came from anyone, but will still, you'd be like, yeah, the thing I really like about him as well is that he clearly speaks French very well, obviously with his background sort of. Being the man is Belgian. 
or well technically yeah you're right he is although i still see him as as british i suppose but he the way the name means nothing French is his first language. Absolutely. But I, I love how he transitions between the two and even the accents. Yeah. Like It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. it it's superb. Um, I've only seen comedians transition between languages and and almost the, the slang as well. I just love it. Um, but I really hope we'll still I can do it. Well. Say again? I can, my daughter can do it. Can she? <laughs> there you go. Accents is one of those things. I, I can do English speaking accents of other but i couldn't do it in french so fair play to anyone that can but yeah it's a very good interview if um if you haven't seen it, it's worth worth looking up and uh and as for teddy yeah long may it continue and it's very easy to get a headline out of the name teddy so keep doing what you're doing right uh thank you very much for those questions to uh to you three much appreciated um as a say every week if you do have a question we have started putting a couple more tweets out on the podcast recently so keep an eye out for those but yeah just drop us a line um on our twitter which or x whatever the hell you want to call it at french ft weekly and we will do our best to um get your question answered or at least fudge our way through it whichever way however we're feeling at the time we'll certainly give you a mention so thank <laughs> you very much for those right um bit of a long one tonight chaps so uh i think we'll um we'll draw a line there but uh, we will be back next week um, Phil, remind me, is it next week you're on your travels? I think it is, isn't yes, it? Yes, I am going back to the UK, so my sympathy. You guys are going to have to work out how to use SoundCloud, or we're going to be recording on Thursday. No worries, we will. We'll do our best. Um, we'll try and get somebody to pop on um, in Phil's absence, and um, we will probably be looking at the two French games anyway. So it may be a shorter pod, but. Uh, who knows, we might even try and plough our way through some of those deadline day deals that we didn't get to mention on this week's pod. So, uh, yeah, we, we'll do our best to fill that in. Um, and, Jez, I believe you're you're around next week, so we'll, we'll try and fudge something together. Yep, as far as I know. Excellent. Good stuff. So look out for that. Um, but, as I say, just a heads up, it will be a later podcast in the week next week um, to try and accommodate that France friendly with Germany. So we'll either do it on that night or we'll do it uh, the day after so keep an eye on the twitter right that is it for us this week then uh week four is in the books uh things are starting to take shape as phil mentioned earlier on this is the most unwelcome international break of the season this early because we're just getting into our stride and then bang we're all out of it again but the, these are the things that happen so good luck to les Bleus at all levels and indeed Thierry Henry on his first game of the under 21s We'll be back, as I said, next week to cover all that. But for now, thank you very much, Phil. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Jez. Thank you. And uh, yes, whatever you are up to this week, if you're a friend, French football fan or not, I'm sure you are if you're listening to this in fairness. So good luck. You're a bit of a team. masochist if you're not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely are. But you never know. Some people might just tune in just purely out of morbid curiosity or they think we're a cooking station or something. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but whatever you are doing, if you are following the French national teams... Go on, Phil. Oh, I thought, sorry, I thought you were going to say something then, Phil. Um, but yeah, if you are enjoying the, uh, the French national team games, uh, please do... Please do... Uh, Get behind the boys, cheer them on, friendlies or otherwise. Uh, enjoy your French football and we'll be back in some form or, fo some form or fashion next week. Thank you for joining us and we'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>